is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Um, if you have got a Bible with you, which I hope you have, it would be really good if you could turn to uh, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 5. And while you're doing that, I want you to cast your minds back to the school playground or playing fields when you were kind of primary school age. So um, this is a test to see who can multitask. You can. You can. Fantastic. I can multitask if you include breathing. Now, I was really surprised. Luke chapter 5, by the way, you're looking for verse 27. I was really surprised. I had a conversation with my daughters the other week about choosing teams when you're at primary school. Because I I thought that my experience was so bad, it would have kind of not be permitted in schools anymore. But apparently it it still is. And the experience was this. In primary school, uh, the, the boys in my class used to have a game of football. And sometimes it would last all day. Sometimes it'll last all week. But we had two teams and we played this game of football on the playing field every break and lunchtime for the day. And we just kind of kept the whole game going. But of course you have to choose teams to play football. And the way it worked when I was at school was the two best players in the year were the two team captains. So best player, he's team captain here. Second best player in the year, he's team captain here. And they used to take it in turns to pick who was going to be on their team. Now, I'm, I'm amazed. This still happens in school, doesn't it? Is, was this, is this part of everybody's school experience of choosing teams? Because for a little while it was politically incorrect and they, they found other ways of doing it. But, so we'd be in this line, you see. And the first best player, the number one captain, he would choose the third best player in the year to be in his team. And the third best player would walk out the line and, and go and be with that captain over there. And then the second captain would choose the fourth best player in the year and he would wander out the line and go and be with that. And gradually, people, you didn't even need to wait for your name to be called because we all knew the order. It was a bit weird, really. They'd just walk occasionally, occasionally, of course. Someone would have had a great game the day before. Might have gone up and spoke, whoa. And, and the teams would get bigger and bigger and the line would get smaller and smaller. And in the end, there'd be two kids left in the line, which would be me. Don't tell Peace this story, by the way. She's convinced she's got all her football abilities inherited from me. You'll break her heart if she hears the story. <laughs> Not. It, it would be me and the guy next to me. And, you know, I'd look at him. I'd look at his crutches. You know, I'd note the leg was in plaster from below the ankle to above the knee, and I'd think to myself, why is this decision taking so long? <laughs> being, being first name on the team sheet is not something I've ever really experienced in my life. It's, it's true, it's true. But when I left school, left school, I went to work, I did a couple of jobs that didn't really kind of work out for me. I worked for Barclays for five months. I thought, corrupt they are, I'm not working for them anymore. <laughs> then I went and worked in a record shop, because that's how old I am, uh, 
in the days when you used to have to actually get on a bus, go into town, buy this black circular thing, take it home to listen to music, just for those of you who never experienced that. Uh, and, and then my dad thought, my dad kind of didn't really like me working in a record shop, that's not a very good job, you're spending all your money on bizarre music. Uh, he said, look, local government, job for life, son, go and apply for that. So I went for this job uh, in a surveyor's office, and I'm, just, I'm a bit wet behind the ears, really. I'm, you know, I've only left school a few months before, and I'm, I'm sitting in this room, big desk separates me from this really large guy and this very little guy. The large guy turns out to be the, the lead surveyor, and he picks up a sheet of A4 paper. This is genuine. This is a true story. He picks up a sheet of A4 paper full of names, and he says, this is the list of applicants for this job in my order of preference based on their application form. He said, and you, and he very slowly and deliberately ran his finger all the way down, like three quarters of the way down his page, he said, you are here. And I, I didn't really know what was going on. I'm like, not much point in me being here then, is there really? And he looks at me and he says, but I've interviewed everyone else and I didn't like them. So, yeah. So, being first choice, not exactly my experience, but they're the kinds of goals that you have. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a great footballer. Uh, and, and when I left school, Mel and I were already, you know, we were engaged unofficially. We knew we were going to get married. I wanted to have a decent job. But over the years, I think probably people's ambitions have changed a bit, haven't they? What you want when you're growing up. You know, I'm sure my granddad growing up probably wanted to be a train driver in the days of steam. <sighs> Take you back, Elf. <laughs> In the dockyard. Too much tar and timber for you, eh, mate? When, when Jesus was growing up, the goal wasn't to be a great sportsman. Uh, I mean, you probably wouldn't have wanted to do the sports that were popular in Jesus' day, would you? <laughs> Probably put your life at risk. When Jesus was growing up, the people in his culture, the people who were growing up around him, what they really wanted to be was the disciple of a well-known or influential rabbi. That's, that's what they wanted. And they set up an entire education system based around trying to train young boys to become great teachers of the law. That's what they did. So they, they go to school very early. They had a great education system. They go to school probably until they were about 10 years old. And then at about 10 years old, they'd start to weed out those who they thought would make the grade and those who they thought wouldn't. It's kind of like the 11 plus. Crikey, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You went to a grammar school. You remember what the 11 plus was, don't you? Yeah, there's kind of this selection policy where we cream off the best and they continue in education uh, and we just condemn the rest to a life of misery. That's, um... so they, they, and then from 10 to 14, those guys... I might offend people with that kind of... Uh, I apologise. From 10 to 14, those guys, they studied really hard... And, and it wasn't just like learning information. That was, that was not the way that the Jewish people thought education should work. It wasn't just about transmitting information. It was about exploring ideas. It was about teasing things out together, discussing stuff, asking... It's what education should be, isn't it, Caroline? The best kind of education. Yeah, that's how it works. So, you see, when Jesus is 12 years old, and, you know, in that kind of David and Samantha Cameron moment, his parents leave him behind in Jerusalem, where do they find him? They find him... 
with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and he's asking questions and they're asking him questions. They're kind of exploring stuff. They're amazed at his understanding because that's what young Jewish boys did. They sat down. If they were worth their salt, they sat down with teachers and rabbis and they teased all this kind of stuff out. And what the rabbi is looking for, the rabbi is looking for someone who he thinks can be like him. Okay, it's not just about, can this person know what I know? The rabbi wants to think, can this young boy be what I am? Can he do what I do? Does he have the potential to become like me, to pass on my way of life, my teaching? And they, and they get to 14 years old and the choices would be made. So they'd sit down and they'd say to some of them, really sorry, no, you've worked hard, but you really need to go back to the family business. It's like making the judges' houses and being told you're not getting to the live shows. These guys have got to go back, fishermen, carpenters. They haven't made the grade. They're not, they're not quite there. But those who did, the rabbi would say, you've got it. You've got what it takes. You can be one of my disciples. Come, follow me. I was like, everything I'd ever wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? X Factor, it's gone. It's gone, isn't it? You don't watch it anymore. No one knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, that was it. That was dream come true. That's, that was their life's ambition. Great. I get to be the disciple of a great rabbi. That's what they wanted. That's what their life was about. So imagine being 14 years old and being told, you're not quite good enough. And you just kind of, well, you know, the mundane life for me. I used to really annoy my children when people on the X Factor said, I don't want to go back to my, my job in Tesco's. I want to be somebody. Because every time anyone said that on the X Factor, I'd say, you are somebody. <laughs> you are somebody. Oh, back to the mundane. But the ones who made it, wow, got their rabbi. And then we find this story of Jesus. And he's about 30 years old, which is about the age that the rabbis were when they started looking for their disciples and he's wandering around doing his stuff and Luke tells us in chapter 5 verse 27 which is where we've got to in the story after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything he rose and followed him you see, if you wanted to be the disciple of, a, of an influential rabbi, you could really do better than Jesus, could you? There are thousands of people following Jesus around. He has healed the sick. He has cast out demons. He is talking with authority like they've never heard in their lives before. And he comes to this man and he says... Follow me. Jesus looks at Levi, Matthew, and thinks, this man has got what it takes to be like me. Come, follow me. And in that little story, you actually have encapsulated one of the most important Christian teachings. God chose Levi. But hear this. God chose 
you. Many people find that really offensive because it kind of rubs against our pride, doesn't it? But this is the truth. Levi was just doing his job in the tax booth when Jesus came and said, follow me. Levi hadn't done anything to deserve it. He knew who Jesus was. It's inconceivable that Levi didn't know anything at all about Jesus. It would be like living in the east end of London, being surprised when someone says, the Olympics start in two weeks. You are, you are, no one told me. Man, this is headline news. This is the great new teacher coming out of Galilee. Thousands of people following him. You heard about the cripple who was healed. Have you heard about the man who's walking around now who previously been spending his life lying on a mat? Have you heard this man teach? Oh, Levi would have known him. But Levi, he wasn't good enough to make the grade. He didn't get chosen when he was at school. He's collecting taxes. Jesus chose him. Jesus chose you. One of the most influential verses... In my life as a Christian is Ephesians 1 verse 4. Don't laugh, Shannon. Guaranteed result. I love that. Ephesians 1 verse 4. I'll start in verse 3. This is Paul writing to this church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. When he's writing to the Roman church, in one of the most famous chapters of Romans, chapter 8, he says this to them, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. On the last night of his life, when Jesus is talking to the disciples in John chapter 15, he says this, You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. It wasn't that the disciple chose which rabbi they were going to follow. The rabbi chose which boy would become their disciple. Now sometimes when we tell our stories about how we became a Christian, we we say things like, I was looking for God. The Bible says, no you weren't. Actually, you were enemies in your minds because of your sins and transgressions. You were aliens and strangers to the promises and the covenants of God. You weren't looking for him. He chose you. And he didn't choose you because there was one more space on the team and there was you and the guy with crutches standing next to you and he had to choose somebody. He chose you before the creation of the world. You were the first name on the team sheet. That's, that's grace. That's what grace is. That's why people are so offended by it. You mean, you mean you didn't choose me because of something I've done or said? Surely, no. 
He just chose you. Being chosen by people is not always great, is it? Some people you don't want to be chosen by, do you? My, my girls are... Uh, should I say this? My girls are going to go down to Westfield uh, in a bit. And you know that moment when you're walking down towards Westfield and you've got across the pedestrian crossing and the lights and that and you see someone with a clipboard just ahead of you and you think, please don't choose me. <laughs> and you know that the only way to avoid being chosen is don't make eye contact. So you look in all the shop windows like this, as you're walking up. JJB Sports, that's an escalator. Very interesting. Tesco's. Look at the price of their tomatoes. Fascinating. I can keep that all the way up to Ann Summers. And <laughs> then I don't know where to look. Listen, God chose you. Before he made the heavens and the earth, before this planet was orbiting the sun, God chose you in Jesus. In fact, Levi would not have been a very popular choice. You know, when you think about, well, what have people done? Sometimes you look in the Old Testament and you can think, well, you know, sometimes God seems to choose people because they're good. Noah was a righteous man. You know, other times he chooses people like Abraham, who's an idol-worshipping pagan, who's not looking for God. You know, how does that work? Levi was a tax collector... For the Romans. Now, one of the words that my parents would have understood, I think, people of my parents' generation, if I'd called Levi a collaborator, they would, they would have had a very definite idea of what that was growing up just before the Second World War. The people in occupied countries who cooperated with and worked for the invading army. In fact, we've seen things like that in, in our lifetime. Do you remember that, um, in, in Iraq there was a particular occasion where lots and lots of Iraqis were queued up in the green zone for jobs as in the police force. And the insurgents went in and, and just bombs and everything. Why? Because they're cooperating with an, an occupying force. That's how it would be seen. Collaborate. I, just, I read a novel recently about uh, a lad growing up in Malaysia prior to the Second World War and he worked for the Japanese um, when they reached Penang. And, and, and the story tells his life 60 years later, still hated by some of the people in, in, in the city who knew him to have collaborated. This is Levi. He's collecting tax for the Romans. He's He's collaborating. He would have been hated by most of his people. And Jesus chooses him. There is nothing that we have done that justifies God's choosing us. There is nothing in our lives that we can point to to say, God chose me because of this. No, he didn't. He just chose you. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, we're saved by grace through faith. And he says, and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Even the faith that responds to the call of God is a gift of God. There's nothing 
That justifies God's choice of us. This is grace. And, and from the time that Paul was preaching this gospel to today, that offends people. And they argue with it. And they say, oh, that can't be right. But very clearly, what the Bible teaches, God chooses us. God chooses us. Why does God choose us? Why does he choose us? Actually, in every verse we've read, we've also read the answer to that question. So we'll go back over them, shall we? Just in case you didn't pick it up when we were looking at them. If you've got a Bible, it is helpful just to flick through. Just so you know, I'm not telling you fibs. Because not all of my stories are exactly like they sound. I do use a bit of hyperbole. He had a crutch, but he wasn't in a cast. Um, (laughs) John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Why did God choose them? So that they could bear fruit for him. When we go to Romans, and we look at these verses in Romans chapter 8, and it starts at verse 28, but in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you want to pick that up? I could really embarrass you, but I won't. <laughs> Glad it's not mine. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's why God chose you. In Ephesians 1, when he tells us when we were chosen, before the creation of the world, why? To be holy and blameless before him. This is why God chose you. So that you could be like him and bring him honour and glory. That is why God chose you. Not the why as in what did I do to justify it, but the this is the purpose of our salvation, that we become like Jesus. And that in being like Jesus, we can effectively continue his ministry and his mission in this world to fill the earth with people who know him and love him, to preach the gospel, to baptise those who believe, and to disciple them, that they become like Jesus. That's why we've been saved. There's a couple of real dangers when you come to a text like this. One is, you can take it out of context. Okay, context is everything when you're trying to understand the Bible. And it's possible to come to a text like this and think, this is all about Jesus and Levi. And in one sense, it is about Jesus and Levi. But there's a bigger picture. Jesus isn't just choosing Levi. Jesus is in the process of choosing 12 apostles. And we come to that in chapter 6. Just have a quick look ahead. The 12 apostles, chapter 6, verse 12. I won't read it, but it's there. Look, you can see that heading. Jesus is in the process of choosing 12 disciples. There's a slightly bigger picture than me and Jesus. There's a slightly bigger picture than Levi 
and Jesus. Jesus is calling a group of disciples. Okay, there's another danger that comes when we try and look at bits of the Bible like this, particularly if we're looking at small sections, and that's that we can import our kind of cultural thinking, our 21st century postmodern rose-tinted glasses, which says that we, the individual, is everything. And we kind of lose the sense of community. This is a bit of a hobby horse of mine. I'm not going to step on my soapbox. I, I shall start ranting if I do that. But we kind of lost the idea of community because we're so focused on individual things. And I think that can happen to us as Christians. I, I think we can fail to see the bigger picture when we read stories like this in the Bible and we can come with our mindset, our culture that says, it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus. Are you laughing at my singing? No, okay. I wouldn't blame you. But this is it. We are, we are the major players in the film of our lives and, and nothing else is going on, really. And, and this is, we just have that whole disimbalance. There is this amazing truth that God knows you personally loves you individually, calls you one-to-one as part of a people that he is building for his glory. And I think we can make the mistake sometimes of becoming so me and Jesus, me and Jesus. This is about my life with him, my relationship with him, my time with him, the things he's doing for me in my life that we kind of forget, actually, it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about God and his people and the mission to reach the lost. That's what it's about. Jesus is calling 12 disciples because one guy couldn't do the job. One guy could not reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. God wants a people. And actually, Jesus didn't just choose you, although he did choose you, and that's wonderful. He chose us. He chose us in Jubilee, together. Why? Because there are people in this city and the towns and villages around and to the ends of the earth who don't know him yet. And he calls us to work together for his mission. Now, that was not easy for Levi. When you look through the names of other people that Jesus chose, one of them is interesting. We don't know much about many of these people. One of the things we know about Levi is he's a tax collector. Why does he tell us that? Well, he tells us something about a guy called Simon as well in verse 15. Simon is a zealot. Simon is an insurgent. Simon is someone who believes that you get rid of the Romans through insurgency and terrorism. And Jesus takes these two people, he says, hey, you're following me. You're learning from me. You're going to be like me and together you're going to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. God has called us together here at Jubilee to reach the lost. 
so wonderful though your personal relationship with him is, and as important as it is, the real reason it's important for you to walk well to God is so that the church can be the most effective it can be in fulfilling the mission of God. We're here to reach the lost. We're here to see people in Derby come to know Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus was choosing disciples. Could he had a mission that he needed the church to be involved with in order to see it fulfilled? That is going to have an impact on what you do with your time and how you spend your money and what really matters to you. What do you pray for? I'm going to be provocative. I don't want to offend anybody, but I am being quite provocative this morning. I want to make you uncomfortable. See, I think that the things that we pray most about are the things that we care most about. So when we get together on a Sunday morning, it is imperative that we are praying for the lost in Derby and Burton and Belper and Ashbourne and Nagoya because God has called us together to reach them with the gospel. That's what we're here for. So that really should resound in our hearts. I just want to challenge you. Have you got stuck in the me and Jesus thing? And have you missed the bigger picture? And here's the cost. Jesus comes and he says, follow me. And all Luke says is, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. We had a really, really good word from Mel Lewis this morning. But I can't see you. She's in resound, that's why I can't see her. About. About the things that we can become attached to in life. Levi leaves everything. I mean, he literally would have left everything. He walked out on his job. He walked out on his family. He left his friends. He left the place where he may have grown up and spent his life. He literally left everything. A couple of weeks ago, we sent Dave and Hannah to Japan. They've left everything. Actually, that's what Jesus calls you to do. He calls you to leave everything, not necessarily physically, but God asks for an undivided heart, that nothing competes with him in your heart. So if this morning, for the first time, you've kind of sensed, maybe Jesus is calling me, come follow me, understand this. He's calling you to follow him and leave everything. It is a radical decision to become a Christian. Christianity is not something that you can just bolt onto your life. It totally changes your life. I want you to understand that because in a moment I'm just going to, if there is anybody here who thinks, yeah, actually for the first time in my life I sense Jesus calling me, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. So I want you to understand what, what I'm saying. I'm not saying becoming a Christian is easy. It's not an easy life choice. You have to leave everything. But, but, you gain eternal life. 
There was someone who died in the mission field who said, it's not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Sorry, Charlotte. Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott. Thank you. You leave everything, but you couldn't keep it anyway. It's just stuff. You gain eternal life. Okay, I'm just going to, I just want to say a quick prayer. Just if this is your situation this morning, you just feel Jesus saying, follow me. And maybe you've known about him. Maybe you've heard about him, just like Levi had, but you've never got up and followed him. Let's just pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you that you love me and have chosen me. Thank you for the call to follow you. Lord Jesus, right now, I'm just saying to you, I am going to follow you. And Lord, for anyone who's just prayed that, I ask you, bless them richly by your spirit. Amen. Now, you may have prayed that prayer many years ago in your life. Maybe you've been a Christian 12 months, 12 years, 25 years. I want to ask you this. Have you ever moved house? You've moved house recently. I saw pictures on Facebook of bookshelves. Bookshelves. Things you weren't taking with you? I tell you, when Mel and I moved house 10 years ago, we'd been married about uh, 10 or 12 years by the time we moved, we had to get a 12-yard skip in our drive to put all the stuff in that we didn't want to bring up to Ashbourne with us. I can't, I can't imagine... We had, a, we had a semi-detached three-bed house with a garage. We filled a 12-yard skip <laughs> with rubbish. <laughs> My proudest boast in our new house is that there is, no, there is nothing in our loft. I've not put anything in our loft. If, if it deserves to go in the loft, we can give it or bin it. We certainly don't need to keep it. But we do have children. Hands up if you have children. Hands up if you've ever tried to throw away anything that belongs to your children. It's impossible. Our girls are teenagers now, but if we try and... Don't tell them this, okay? We're not going to try and empty their rooms of anything till they go to New Day. Because they'll go to New Day... They'll come back, they won't know anything has happened. But if I get the teddy bear out that they had when they were six months old, which they puked up over, filled their nappy on, put down the toilet, washed endlessly, recovered five times, it will be the most precious thing in their lives. Dad, you can't throw that out, that's my teddy. I tell you, life does this to us. We just collect stuff. And, and what Mel was talking about was we just build attachments to things that get in the way of our life with God. I know, because you're going to tell them. <laughs> no, they won't have a clue, Alf. Trust me, 16 years of experience. <laughs> I know when to throw stuff away. Mel does it to me. <laughs> Where's my 
favourite cardigan. I've been that two years ago. <laughs> my mum once redecorated my dad's office when he was away for a couple of days. He came back, he hadn't got a clue, it hadn't. <laughs> Just do it when they're away. Listen, we, 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 we load the loft. We just collect stuff in life. I don't know what it is. It's just a process of living. Things become more important to us than Jesus. And you kind of don't even notice it's happening. But every now and then, there comes a time where you have to say, I'm going to leave that behind now. I'm going to put that down and I'm going to leave it behind. I'll give you the recording as a gift, Alf. (laughs) That's what Mel was talking about. Talking about stuff that comes into your life that kind of gets in the way. Relationships, work, possessions. You know, when we moved, the most difficult thing for me to leave wasn't, bizarrely, friends or family or the house most difficult thing for me to leave was the garden. We used to have this beautiful garden, 140 foot long, 60 foot wide. I spent hours in the garden. And if you've been around our house, you'll know we don't have a very big back garden now. That was the hardest thing for me to leave. And when Mel arrived at the house, because she didn't actually see it until the day that we moved in. Uh, did you? That's, they don't know what to believe anymore. Genuinely, Mel did not see the house until the day we moved in. She loved the house, but her heart sank when she saw the garden. It is just incredible what you build attachments to. And actually, sometimes you just have to leave it all behind. There just comes a moment when God says, it's time to leave that behind. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe when Mel brought that word, I just thought it was excellent. The Spirit began to speak to you. Yeah, actually that has begun to occupy a place in your life and you need to leave it behind. If you're really going to follow me, you need to put that aside now. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Not if you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yeah, okay. Let's just pray that then. I can't pray this for you. You have to pray for yourself. Okay, it's a very important principle. There's nothing wonderful about my prayers. Absolutely nothing wonderful about my prayers. The process is this. If you sense God saying to you, it's time to leave that behind, you need to pray. All right? But I'm going to give you a clue as to how. So I will pray in the first person. Just pray this with me. Father God, thank you for your grace in choosing me. And I am sorry that there are things I have gathered in my life that compete with you. I know this morning you are calling me to leave them behind. Father, that is what I'm going to do. And in your heart, just name it. Just name that thing that God has put in your heart that competes with him. That is what I'm leaving behind. Thank you, Father. Okay. How are we doing? Not too bad. I actually don't want to do a personal response this morning because I don't want to get caught up 
in what I've just said we often get caught up in, which is me and Jesus. So we've just dealt with that. Maybe you've just decided to become a Christian. Please tell someone before you leave this room if that's what you've done. Maybe you've just decided, yeah, there's some stuff I'm going to leave behind. I think it's important that we respond together. I think it's important that we see the bigger picture. That this isn't just Jesus and Levi. This is Jesus calling a group of people to be with him on his mission to save the lost. Now, I don't quite know what that's going to look like for you, but the reality is you're here. So some part of the outworking of that is here. Jubilee. Jesus gathered 12 disciples. Here, there's a few more of us. We probably have all kinds of different opinions about politics and sport and goodness knows what. We might not, in a natural sense, be friends. We might be a right odd bunch of people. We might be just like the church in Corinth. Listen to this. Now, bear in mind, Paul is probably quite a respected bloke. And if he stood here on the stage you'd be inclined to pay him far more attention than me. But this is what he'd say to you. Take a good look, friends, at what you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential. Thank you, Paul. Not many from high society families. It's beginning to grate. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? <laughs> He's really rubbing it in. Chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own trumpet before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. So we boast in him. And we work for him. And we serve and worship him together. That church had all kinds of divisions, all kinds of arguments, all kinds of immoral stuff was going on that Paul helped them work through so that together they could reach the lost. I'm not saying we have to be the best of friends. That's unrealistic. But God has called us together for his mission. So together we have to say, I'm up for that, Lord. Do you understand? Oh, sounds like I've been heavy now. You've all gone very quiet. Shall I tell a joke? No. You've all gone very... I'm not trying to be heavy, but I'm trying to be clear. This is not just me and Jesus. This is the church, the people of God, working with him in mission to save the lost. Are you up for that? One or two? (laughs) I don't ask rhetorical questions. Are you up for that? Okay. I haven't convinced all of you, but that's fine. I didn't expect to. I think we need to respond to God together. Okay, and I think it's important to do that because 
Sometimes when you want to say something, you overstress your point, don't you? You kind of overstate your case. Maybe I'm overstating my case. But hey, you'll forgive me, won't you? Together. We're not just me and Jesus. We are Jubilee and the mission of God. Okay? I'm going to pray. I'm not going to do ministry time. I'm going to pray. And this is where you're at. I just want you in your own hearts in some way to make this known to God. Okay? Father, thank you that this is not just me and you. I am so glad that you have put me in a church that loves you. Father, I want to play my part in the mission of this church to see people in Derby saved. Lord, I want to see hundreds of people come to know you. I want to see hundreds of people get baptised. I want to see this city and the areas that surround it and the places you've put in our heart transformed by the power of your gospel and the work of your spirit. I give myself to that, Lord. I give myself to that. I just know that the Holy Spirit is working. So we're just going to stay in, in, a, in a moment of prayer. Just stay in prayer. I know the Holy Spirit is working. Maybe there are things he's just putting on your heart that is right for you to deal with. Father, send your missionary spirit upon us right now. Lord, I'm sure every one of us has things we need to leave behind. Help us do that. I choose to do that, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts with the Father's love for the lost. Come and stir our hearts to be what you have called us to be. We want to see this city reached with the gospel, Jesus. We want to see your name honoured and glorified. We want to see churches across this city full of people who know you and love you. We want to see justice and righteousness in this place. We want to see the sick healed, Lord. We want to see sins forgiven. We want to see evil spirits cast out, prisoners set free. Together, Lord, together, we're saying yes. We're giving ourselves to that. Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you, those people that you're touching those things that you're speaking about across the room, I pray that you uh, put us in the way of good conversation so that the, the things that you are speaking to us about now become things that we do in the future. Later today, later this week, whatever. Holy Spirit, will you, will you just set these passions in our hearts and minds?
that we will become like Jesus. That the church will become the fullness of him who fills all things in every way for his glory. Amen. If God has just put anything on your heart, if there's any response that you want to make, I want to encourage you, do not keep that private. Okay, go and talk to someone about that. Go and share some ideas. If your life groups are on this week, just bring that stuff. Talk about it. We are here for the lost. We can only do that together. Okay? I'm going to end the meeting now. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything, but I am pleading with you. God has spoken to you. Do something with it. So, we end there. There are going to be refreshments outside. That's tea uh, and coffee. There'll be some stuff. You're welcome to do that. It's time to collect your children from their work. If you have children, if you have given your life to Jesus. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.